say to us today? What do we learn about this little story here as this kicks off? I would say it's this. In the name of Jesus, there's power. There's authority there. There's something going on that you and I can't possibly in our finite human brains understand. But in the name of Jesus, there is power. There's that song, right? There is power in the name of Jesus. You don't want me to sing it, huh? I can tell your face is like, oh, stop, stop. But there is power in the name of Jesus, and that's what we're talking about. In the name of Jesus, there is power. But notice it's not just power. See, if it were left at that, we would still be helplessly, hopelessly lost, not unable to get to heaven. Now what happens is Peter preaches a sermon. This is the second sermon that he preaches. I remember uh, sharing with you when he stood up in Acts chapter 2 to preach the first time. If I were an apostle, I'd been like, don't, be quiet, Peter. Every time you open your mouth, you insert foot, don't preach. But Peter in chapter 2 preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, his, his, his words were through the Holy Spirit and therefore incredibly effective. And he does the same here. So we read on in in chapter 3, and it says in verse 11, that while he, the, the, the lame man, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So Peter began to preach began to share with them what was going on. They were amazed. Now, this was probably after the prayer time was over. So think of it. During that prayer time, it was going on. People were whispering down the pew, going, Peter, Peter healed, healed that lamb man that, walk, that sits by the beautiful gate. And it just kept going around and going around and going around. And it probably got from outside the church. Then they started, people in the community started hearing about it. Oh, my word. We heard that that lame man that we recognize at the beautiful gate that's there every day, that's a nuisance that we have to walk by and, and give alms because we're good Jews. We have to do that. And, 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 and he got healed. Peter did it. And all of a sudden, there's this great roar and this great crowd that comes together. The prayers are done, and they go. Peter goes, and John and the rest go to, the, to Solomon's colonnade, which is the east side of the temple. And it ran the whole length of the te- uh, uh, temple, so there was room for lots and lots of people. And Peter goes there, and Peter starts to prepare, or starts to proclaim, rather, the name of Jesus Christ. And he starts off by saying, listen, it wasn't by our power that this lame man was healed. It was no, nothing on our part. He was not healed by us. It has nothing to do with us. In fact, if you look at verse 13 of chapter 3, Peter explains. He says, The God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus. Notice, he uses the word servant. That, that, that idea of servant would take a Jewish mindset back to Isaiah, where there the prophet proclaimed the servant of God. You start at Isaiah chapter 43, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 40 through 53, and you have all these chapters in Isaiah speaking of the servant of God that would come. And here's Peter calling their attention back. 
Isaiah 53 ends with the suffering servant, the servant who came to die and who, by whose stripes, wounds, we are healed, who took upon himself our iniquity. All that that is proclaimed about the servant now, Peter brings to the forefront. This is the one. This is Jesus. He is the servant that Isaiah proclaimed. So he's speaking about the servant Jesus, but notice what he says in verse 13. This servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. My advice to you is if you want to know how to win friends and influence people, you don't listen to Peter. Peter did not beat around the bush, did he? He's telling a bunch of people, you did this to the servant. The one that God foretold, the one that, that, that God proclaimed as his servant, Jesus, he is the one that you handed over in the first place. And then when, he was, when Pilate said, I, I'll, I'll dismiss uh, uh, Jesus, but take Barnabas, they, they called for Barnabas instead. And, and he's saying, you guys did this. You did this. You killed him. But he goes on. You killed the author of life, verse 15. But notice, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And verse 16 is where his answer is. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter says, it's not us. He goes back, it's in the name of Jesus. It's faith in the name of Jesus that did this thing. And we could wrestle with whose faith. I believe it's Peter's faith. That lame man didn't have faith at that point. He didn't understand what was going on. Peter had faith that, that, that Jesus could, could heal him. And in that faith, it happened. So Peter says, it's not us. It's the name of Jesus. But then he goes on. Remember he said, you killed him? Notice what he says in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And here's what he says. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus. So listen, he says, repent. You guys are guilty. You put the servant of God to death. It's your fault. It's you who did this. But God raised him from the dead. Of that we're witnesses. So here's what you can do. In your ignorance, you didn't understand what was going on. So here's there's this wonderful thing you can do. You can repent. You can turn away from disbelief in Jesus. You can turn away from that rejection that you showed of Jesus, and you can turn to belief in Him. You can repent, turn away from, and turn to. Turn away from your disbelief, your rebellion, your rejection, and turn to Jesus. That's what He says. So there is this message, and He goes and says, listen, when you turn from your rejection of Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, guess what? The first thing he mentions is, your sins will be blotted out. Blotted out. No longer there. Gone completely. 
wiped away. Your sin, it's like it never existed. Did you hear me, church? Blotted out. Peter says, when you repent, turn away from rejecting Jesus and turn to receiving Jesus, there is forgiveness of sin once for all. Your past, your present, your future sins, blotted out, wiped away. The slate is clean, never more to be written on. Your sins are done with. They're blotted out. And in that, there's time of refreshing. There's this spiritual refreshing that will overcome you. You, as a Jewish people, he's saying, you have the rules and the regulations that you must and must not do. You must hold on to these things. You have all these commandments that you must obey. But guess what? In that, there's no refreshing, is there? When religion becomes the key, when it's all about doing and don'ting, then there's no refreshment there. But in Jesus, when he blots out your sins, Peter says, there is refreshment in that. Your spirit is refreshed. There's life. There's freedom. There's joy. That's what he's saying. Are you with me, church? I'm not sure you are, so I just want to check. See, Peter preaches this incredible message about the forgiveness that is there in the name of Jesus. So the second thing I would say to you is that not only in the name of Jesus is there power, but in the name of Jesus there is forgiveness. And only in his name is there forgiveness. Peter's going to say that very clearly in chapter 4, verse 12. Very clearly. So we see there is not only power in the name of Jesus, there is forgiveness in the name of Jesus, but as we get to chapter 4, we must recognize this very well, dear church, because the name of Jesus not only brings power and forgiveness, but the name of Jesus provokes persecution. Provokes persecution. See, the name of Jesus agitates people, works them up. See, it's okay to use his name as a curse word. People actually enjoy that. But if you talk serious about Jesus in our day, oh my word, are you crazy enough to believe in that guy? See, amen, good. So what we need to understand is persecution comes simply as a result of the name of Jesus. Why do I say that? Because there's some Sadducees who heard what was going on and perhaps even witnessed of what was going on. And they gathered some other religious leaders together and the scripture says they were upset. Why? Because these folks were talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And if you know about Sadducees, you know why they're sad, you see, right? It's because they don't believe in the resurrection. So you can remember that. I remember that as a little kid. I heard that in, I don't know, maybe Awana, maybe Sunday school. But, but that's why the Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe in resurrection. And so here's a group of people talking about the resurrection of Jesus. It steams their boat. Well, that didn't make sense. Maybe it did. They were upset. That's what I mean to say. And so they gathered Peter and John, and they put him in jail. Now, it was, it was late in the evening, and so they couldn't do anything with them, which they were probably happy because that meant Peter and John spent a night in jail. And it's something that both Peter and John and later Paul and Barnabas and others would get used to, being in jail for the name of Jesus Christ. 
So they put him in jail. And then the next morning, I would imagine throughout the night that, that the Sadducees then are gathering more of the leaders of the Jewish people of, of Judaism. And they're, they're getting together all the, the, the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council there. But notice what the scripture says in verse 5. It says, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with, notice who with, Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Now you need to understand, these were high caliber people. This was not only just the, the ruling body, the Sanhedrin, but this included the high priestly family. In fact, you'll recognize that name, Caiaphas and Annas, from, from when Jesus was crucified, right? They had a part in that. See? And so here they are now. They gather them. And I would imagine the Sadducees are thinking, now we've got these guys. We're going to gather a powerhouse against them, and they're going to have to give up the ghost. They're going to have to quit speaking about the name of Jesus. But they come together, and they ask a question. Very interesting. Notice the question. Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Very interesting. Did they already know the answer? Absolutely. They already knew the answer, but they needed to hear it out of their mouth. What would Peter and John do? Would Peter speak? Would Peter boldly proclaim the name of Jesus? And if you think about it, isn't it interesting? Peter denied Jesus three times to a servant girl. To a servant girl, he denied Jesus. Now he stands before the powerhouse in all Judaism, and what's he going to say? <laughs> I love it. Look what he says. Verse 8, Then Peter, see here's why he had power, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. I love it. Peter does not back down. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks in boldness. And he continues to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Even though the name of Jesus Christ provokes persecution, Peter proclaims the name of Jesus Christ. And he not only proclaims his name, but he makes statements about Jesus. Look at verse 11. He goes on and says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He's describing Jesus a little bit further. He is the plumb line. He's the cornerstone upon which everything else is built. He is the most important piece. You guys, as the builders, rejected him. But he's become the cornerstone now of his church. He is the plumb line. He is the one who is the most important. But he goes on, and here's verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Church, look at that. Underline that. Circle that. Highlight it. Memorize it. Because that is what tells us how salvation is possible. It is not through Buddha. It's not through Muhammad. It's not through being good enough 
Making sure your good outweighs your bad. It's not through any other route. There are some people that would say to you, all roads lead to God. This verse says, "Uh uh-uh, there is no other name. Only the name of Jesus provides salvation. No other name, only Jesus. That's why this name is so, so important. That's why while we have a variety of ministries, we have to, have to, have to always do it in the name of Jesus. We need to speak the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is the only name that salvation is found in. See, I love Peter's response. And now he's got these guys who are trying to persecute him. He's got them over a barrel. (laughs) He's got them stuck Scripture says they're amazed. And they're going, wait, aren't these guys uneducated? In other words, these aren't the best of the best, the cream of the crop. These are are Jewish kids who basically flunked out of class and they ended up being fishermen. How in the world can they be answering with such wisdom and knowledge of the Old Testament Scripture to speak of the stone that was rejected? They're amazed. They're they're astonished, the Scripture says. And they furthermore say, aren't these the guys that were were with Jesus? Well, they would have some eyewitness accounts here. And they were were blown away by what was going on. And so they they come to them and they say, listen, you you guys wait here for a moment. We're going to go confer with each other. (laughs) They're they're perplexed. And, And they're stuck. They recognize that if they go ahead and keep Peter and John in prison, or if they put them to death, as which they would really like to do, they're going to be in trouble with the rest of the people who saw this lame man being healed. And they're going to be in trouble with the rest of the people who heard about it from the eyewitnesses. So they can't can't keep them in jail. They can't put them to death. But they can't just let them go on doing what they're doing. They'll ruin everything. And so we see that in verse 17. Verse 17 says, but in order that it may, or excuse me, jump back to verse 16. This is what they said. What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more notice in his name. Church, there's something about the name of Jesus that even these religious leaders understood. They're wanting to let them go because they have no other option, but they're commanding them, you cannot speak in the name of Jesus because there's something about the name of Jesus. And so verse 18, that's what they tell them. They called them and charged them to speak, to not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter goes, okay, No. Still, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter says, listen, we have to give an eyewitness account of these things. It's better for us to proclaim the truth than to hold back from the truth, basically is what he's saying. Peter withheld that, or stood up against that persecution. And, 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 And so what we need to understand, however, is this is the first of many, many times in the book of Acts where we see persecution coming up against the church who, who proclaim the name of Jesus. So what we're just simply saying is this. The name of Jesus provokes persecution. It provokes persecution. It just is one of those things. 
that when you speak the name of Jesus, either people are drawn to Him or they are angered by Him. There's really no middle ground. And so what we see is this provocation going on. But I love what happens next. And here's where the main idea of everything comes from this morning. Because what happens is Peter and John go back and report to the church. And the church has what you would call an honest-to-goodness prayer meeting. An honest-to-goodness prayer meeting. That's what they do. Notice verse 22 or excuse me, 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God in prayer. They prayed. They came back. They reported this persecution. And the church set itself up to pray. Can I stop here for a moment? Why is it that we'll only pray seriously like this when we face persecution? I will never forget after 9-11 took place how many people came to prayer meeting that next Tuesday night. Remember that, Patty? This place was pretty well full. A lot of people came to prayer meeting after 9-11. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! we got to turn to God! we got to turn to God! But guess what? It wasn't a week later and that number was half the amount. And pretty soon it was back to the same five. Why is it that it's not until we face hardship and persecution that we pray? When these people devoted themselves equally to the prayers as much as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That list in 242, by the way, is a list of equal devotion. They didn't say this is more important than this. They didn't say worshiping God is more important than the apostles' teaching. They certainly didn't say that the apostles' teaching is more important than prayer, which is what we do. Now I'm meddling, huh? You've stopped liking me, huh? But it's true. And the reason why I say that we don't put as high a value on the prayer as we do the teaching of the Word is we don't have this many people at a prayer meeting. You'll come to a Sunday morning where we teach the Word, but you won't come to prayer meeting. I'm, not, I'm honestly not trying to guilt you. Please don't hear that. I'm just trying to say, listen, here's what happened. These people recognized what they were up against, and they set out praying together. They recognized the name of Jesus is important, and they're going to get persecuted for the name of Jesus. But notice what they pray for. They don't pray, which is what I would pray for. They don't pray that God would get them, or that God would somehow relieve the persecution. They start off by proclaiming the sovereignty of God. Verse 24, and together to God and said, Excuse me. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. They're they're noticing the sovereignty of God. And they go on, who made the heavens and the earth, who made all of creation, who made the whole universe. That's how sovereign God is. But he's not only sovereign in that. They go on and reply and realize that in the Old Testament it was foretold that the nations would rage against God's anointed, against Jesus Christ. They saw sovereignty even in that, so that in verse 27 it says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, there's the name again, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever, notice, 
your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They were reminded that what they were going through was under the sovereign hand of God. The one who made the universe now is the one who allowed his servant, Jesus Christ, to die and rose him from the dead. It was all God's plan. Even, dear church, their persecution. Even what they were going up against. So they didn't pray that God would take persecution away. They understood that Jesus had said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. In the world, you're going to be persecuted. But don't worry, I've overcome the world. They remember what Jesus said when he said, listen, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hate you, it's because they hated me. That's what Jesus told his disciples, his followers. And so they recognize that. They understand his sovereignty in this. So they don't pray that God would remove the persecution, which is what I'm tempted to do. Instead, notice what they prayed, verse 21 or 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus they prayed that the name of Jesus would continue to be spread through them through signs and wonders as they spoke the truth the word of God in that culture in that community in which they lived what we come to understand is followers of Jesus they pray and they proclaim the name of Jesus with boldness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Followers of Jesus, they pray, and they proclaim the name of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit with boldness. They prayed. And it happened. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Persecution or no, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ. Persecution or no, we're going to continue to exalt Jesus as the only, dear church, the only means of salvation. Jesus, there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. That's why his name is so important that we continue to lift high. We can help people. We can save them physically. But if we don't save them by telling them about Jesus, eternally they're lost. And what good is that, dear church? What good is that? See, these people understood how important the name of Jesus is. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Yes, the name of Jesus provokes persecution, but the followers of Jesus Christ will pray and proclaim His name in the power of the Holy Spirit with boldness. I pray that's true of us. Let me challenge you as we close. There is forgiveness in the name of Jesus. There's forgiveness in the name of Jesus. And maybe there's some here this morning that have never received Jesus Never have had your sins completely, once and for all, totally, absolutely forgiven. You've never come to a point where you have said, Jesus 
is the one. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again, according to the Scriptures, in the power of God. And He's seated right now at the Father's right hand. And He did it all because I'm a sinner. And I, reject, I repent. I, I, I turn away from rejecting Jesus. And I turn to Jesus. If you would do that today, you would find the forgiveness that is there in the name of Jesus. You would find your sins blotted out, gone, wiped away forever, praise God. So maybe today you need to do that. Maybe today you just need to say, Lord, I am a sinner, but I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin, that he rose again, and I invite him to come into my life and to wipe away the slate of sin in here, in there. But also understand there is power in the name of Jesus. And i got to be honest with you, growing up in the, in the way that I did, I got good Bible learning. But we often shied away from talking about the power that's in the name of Jesus. Church, there's power in the name of Jesus. When we go out and try to do it in our own name, oh brother, we get stomped on like we're going to see a little later on in Acts. We're going to get, we, we get beat up. But when we do things in the name of Jesus, that's where the power is. So we, what we want to do is claim it. Now, I'm not trying to say claim, name it and claim it. That's, please, I, I'm, I debated using those terms. But I want us to claim the power that is in the name of Jesus. And if we try to do it on our own, we're done. But if we claim the power that's in the name of Jesus, we'll be amazed there will be awe as signs and wonders take place. And we're going to go, I didn't expect that. Where did that come from? See, there is power in the name of Jesus. Let's claim it. But third, thirdly, we recognize that the name of Jesus brings persecution. So let's just expect it. This church expected it. They didn't pray out of it. They didn't even even talk about getting out of persecution. They recognized it's part of being a follower of Jesus. And so they just expected it. So we need to expect it. If you get persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ, <laughs> praise God. Later on, we're going to see them given joy and rejoicing because they were persecuted in the name of Jesus. Just expect it. But fourthly, this morning, as we've said, we need to be people who are praying praying, praying for boldness to continue proclaiming the name of Jesus. Let's pray it, and then let's do it. Let's pray now. Father, I so, I'm so grateful for the power that is in your Son's name. Thank you that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He and He alone is Lord. Thank you that his name is above every name. Thank you, Father, that you have revealed him to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to this earth, that you died on this cross, and that you rose again on the third day, that we might have salvation in you and you alone. Thank you that you are seated at the right hand of the Father where you intercede on our behalf. Thank you that we have the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in every believer. And that is the same power that rose you from the dead. And thank you that you have told us not only to proclaim the name of Jesus, but to anticipate 
there being persecution, but in the midst of that persecution, you have provided for us strength and power through that Holy Spirit. Thank you. I pray, Father God, that we would be people who would leave this place proclaiming without any um, being ashamed at all the name of Jesus Christ, that we would stand up with boldness, that we would speak it. Father, we thank you so much for these things. And we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.